Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Mind Over Murder podcast. My name is Bill Thomas. I'm a writer, consulting producer, and now podcaster. I am now trying to use my experience as the brother of a murder victim to help other victims of violent crime. I'm working on a book on the unsolved Colonial Parkway murders, and I'm the co-administrator of the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook group, together with Kristen Dilley. My name is Kristen Dilley. I'm a writer, a researcher, a teacher, and a victim's advocate, as well as the social media manager and co-administrator for the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook page with my partner in crime, Bill Thomas. Welcome to Mind Over Murder. I'm Kristen Dilley. That makes me Bill Thomas. And we are joined today by one of our very favorite people, Cheryl McCollum, intrepid CSI and now podcaster. Mac, thank you for joining us today. Oh, honey, thank you so much. I love talking to the two of y'all. Thank you. We just spent far too many minutes off air catching up and we, there's so much to talk about and we better record some of this stuff. I'll tell you, the conversation off air might have been a better podcast. Max, start by reminding our viewers about your professional role as a working CSI. I am a crime scene investigator for a Metro Atlanta Police Department, still active. Love my job, love my department. I'm also the director of the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute, and I still work with Karen Greer on CSI Atlanta. And I have recently added, as you mentioned, podcasting to my repertoire, <laughs> which is a little unusual for me and a little out of my wheelhouse, but so far I've really enjoyed it. I love the fact that you've become a podcaster. See, Kristen Dilly says everybody should become a podcaster and she helped <laughs> talk me into it. Of course, then I got to turn the tables and say, okay, I'll do a podcast on true crime. Kristen Dilly, if you'll do a podcast with me on true crime and look how brilliant that turned out. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I so, Kristen doesn't know this, by the way. I'm just going to mention this. We're going to cross over a million downloads in sometime around the 1st of March, I think, according to my calculations. Wow. Uh, Congratulations. Anyway, we'll, we'll announce that officially, but I just That's every once in a crazy. while, I'll check. We don't think about that stuff very often, but last night I had a couple minutes and I went on in the host tells you how many downloads you have. And I did some math and I was like, and I said to Pamela, my partner, I think we're going to cross over a million downloads. We're at 900 and something thousand. That's oh, crazy. Last, as of last night, we were at 941,598 downloads last night before. Well, that's going to be a party. <laughs> yeah. So something to talk about. Absolutely. Tell us about Zone 7. The title came about because in Atlanta, there are six police zones. And back in the day, before pagers and before cell phones, if we wanted to get together, we would say, hey, your core group of people, your real true buddies, let's meet at Zone 7. And we would know what that would mean for our group, our particular bar. And so it's somewhere between what y'all know as choir practice and what you know as the war room. So we would generally do a Zone 7 if we needed feedback about something, whether or not somebody should take the sergeant's exam, whether or not. They had something on this case that somebody could think of to help move it in some way or getting together and sitting down and really going over a cold case. So for me, Zone 7 are those people that I can trust without hesitation. Those people that have your back, those people that cheer for you, those people that tell you the truth 
and real true. If you're out of line, you're out of line. If you're off track, you're off track and they bring you back because they truly care about you. So, you know, not everybody's in your zone seven. You may even have a, a person that is a friend. You would go and help them if they ran out of gas, but they're not in zone seven. It's a very small, select, serious group of people to you. And so that's why I thought it'll be important to call it zone seven, because the people that I'm going to highlight and come as experts, they are in my zone seven. So I thought that's how we'll do it. You pick the people closest to you and you trust what they're telling you to do on these cases. And you trust that they have not only the best interest in mind for you, but these families and ultimately the cases. So that's why I did it that way. I think I'm speaking for both of us here when we say that you're in our zone seven for sure. Oh, likewise, sugar. No question about it. No question. And I'll give you a story. I'm driving with my husband from Atlanta to upstate New York for my niece's wedding. We are having a great time all the way up and just having a wonderful time. When we get up there, we're leaving to come all the way back home. And it happens to be our anniversary weekend as well. So we're staying at all these fabulous different Airbnb type places. Yeah. And on the way back, our car breaks down. Bill Thomas reaches out to me and says, where are you? I'll come get you. You can stay at the house. What? (laughs) (laughs) I remember this. Yeah. We were very concerned, very excited about the wedding. And then the car breaks down, which is not convenient. Yes. But it wasn't like I was 20 minutes from him either, y'all. I want you to understand. So just wonderful. Like he said, he was concerned. What can I do? Can I help if y'all fly back to Atlanta? Because I had to go back to work. I'd already been off a week. So we flew back home and we were going to fly back up to get the car. And Bill's, hey, I can go get the car, have it waiting at the house. And I'm like, this is too much. So again, that zone seven, those people. I recently saw a thing with Jamie Lee Curtis, who I love. Yeah. And it was some award show where somebody that she was working with won the award. But Jamie Lee Curtis is jumping up with her arms in the air. She's just screaming. That's who you want. Who's clapping for me? Who's that excited for me? She didn't win it. I don't even know if Jamie Lee was up for an award, <laughs> but you would have thought from that picture that she had won it. And so those are the people I'm talking about. So little short story to let you know that, yes, absolutely. Y'all are in my zone seven. No doubt about it. I love the zone seven name even more now that you gave us a little mm-hmm. bit of the backstory. That is so cool. And I, I think to have their own zone seven and cultivate it. And even if it's one person, if you've got one best friend, just really true, solid, loyal, devoted, ride or die, you're good. If you've got two or three, you are beyond blessed to me. And if you've got more than that, you're just living in just gold is all I can tell you. (laughs) So Mac, tell us what was the reason that you decided to start this podcast? You, as you mentioned before, you are very busy. And I know that CSI Atlanta, for Mm -hmm. example, has been massively successful. So why would you add more to your plate? What made you decide, you know what, let me podcast you. There's somebody in my zone seven that came to me and said, I think it's important that you do it. I think you've got some stories that need to be told. And this was the game changer. I will help you do it. And I said, if you will help, because this is not my area. Those of y'all that are in my zone seven know I'm not real techie. (laughs) 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 My children laugh because I can't even get to Netflix on our own TV. (laughs) So having a microphone and having to download guest rooms and I don't need, no, I can't do all that. So I said yes to this person because I do trust this person. And I thought this person is not going to set me up to fail or embarrass me. And if I listen to them, I think maybe I can do this, even if it's for four months, even if it's for a year, I don't know that I could do it for a long period of time. Sure. There are some stories that I would like to have out there forever for people to say, hey, this is boots on the ground, how she does it. Maybe I could learn something from her if it's a brand new detective. But that person that said they would help me was Nancy Grace. Wow. And for people that that don't know, Nancy was my prosecutor back in the day when I was first assigned to the major case division through the crime commission. And we were both in our 20s and baby. We had so much fun in Atlanta and generous and welcoming and never made you feel stupid. She would walk you through 
why you needed a second search warrant if there was a detached garage. I know she saved the case then because we had a search warrant and we thought that just covered the whole property. That covers just the house, hmm. the address you get. Oh. The garage was separate. So y'all hold this scene and go get another search warrant. So things like that. She's been so good to me and she doesn't want any acknowledgement. She doesn't even want people to know we know each other because she always says if I'm on her show, she wants people to know it's because of me, because of friends, which I appreciate. But I also understand, and I want people to hear me say this, how many crime scene investigators are there out there in the world? She could have any of them on her show. So she is a loyal friend. She is a good friend. My career has a whole different level because I know that child. And I'll tell you all a funny story. I was at the second or third crime con. I think the second one. And I'm standing with a group of people after my session because they had some questions and there was maybe 15 or 20 people and I was answering them the best I could. And I didn't know these folks. And this woman walks up to me, interrupts me and says, I know you. And so I look at her. I've never seen her before. And I have an identic memory for faces. I've never seen her before in my life. She said, you're that woman that rides next to Grace's coattails. Ooh, ouch. Oh my God. <laughs> so immediately I'm like, okay, this could go left or right for me. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, do I just dog cuss her? And then I thought, what good is that going to do? And then I thought, no, I'm just going to tell her the truth. I'm going to flat tell this woman the truth. So I looked right at her in front of all these people that are now staring at me. And I said, you damn right. <laughs> Yay. Other words, what? What possible position would I play if you have Nancy Grace? So then the next year when I was at Crime Con, I told that story and I followed up. I'm on stage and I just told that story and everybody laughed, of course, like mm -hmm. damn right. And I said, I'm going to tell y'all right now. If Nancy Grace calls me today and said, hey, we're done with true crime. We're now doing porn. Got it. Because that's who she is to me. She would not hurt me in any way. She never has. She has only highlighted everything that I've ever tried to do. She's only helped me. She's shown up places. She's given speeches for me. I had a parent that was very ill. Nancy was there for me the whole time. When I had turned to the courthouse after losing my mother, she picks me up for lunch, takes me to Mary Max, which was our place. And she said, what do you need from me? What can I possibly do? And that's never done. She's thrown me baby showers. And she's that person. She's not just a TV true crime icon. She is the most down the earth, loyal right there when you need her person and she's been that way since i was 24 and i'm 57 58 however old i am closer to 60 than 20 i'll tell you that ever <laughs> <laughs> in her loyalty ever one thing i'll add about nancy grace of course i met nancy grace through you and it was at one of those crime cons and you do something which Kristen and I both love, which is you're a connector. You've said to me, you need to know so-and-so, or you need to talk to so-and-so, or you need to learn about this new technology. We were talking about Jared Bradley and the MVAC sure. machine, which is used to solve so many cases. Basically, it's a high-tech vacuum cleaner, I think is the way Jared puts it. But for instance, uh -huh. you said to me at one of those crime cons, you need to meet Nancy Grace. And a minute later, you steered me over and introduced me. And one of the things I quickly realized is that there's two Nancy Graces. The Nancy Grace we see on television, and I don't know if she'd accept this, but this is my point of view. She kind of plays a character on TV, which is she's very aggressive and outspoken. She's brilliantly smart but she's tough. But then off the air, she's completely different. And you introduced her to me, me to her. And you said, this is Bill Thomas from the Colonial Parkway Murders. And you gave her the quick overview. And her interaction with me was so lovely. She's a completely different person off the air. Here's what I tell people, Bill. You have a professional boxer that has never put his hands on his family or children or friends. There's that switch. He knows what his job is. His job is to get in that ring and beat the daylights out of that other person. But when he goes home, he's playing with the kitten. He's cuddling with the baby. He's loving and tender with his wife. Nancy Grace knows her job. 
And if you ask her, does this person deserve the death penalty? She's going to go after that person because that person killed a 12-year-old little girl. But when she meets somebody and it's her one-on-one, she's Nancy. She's not Nancy Grace. She's not in that ring right now. She flat knows her job, sugar. Trust me. So let's get back to Zone 7 for a second. And I want to get you to talk about the first case that you covered. And I'm so glad that it was the first thing that you covered because it was a case that I got very interested in when I heard you speak about it at Savannah Crime Expo. And that is the case of Tammy Jackson. Can you tell us a little bit about the Tammy Jackson case and then why it's so important to you, important enough that you started the podcast with it? I came to know this case because I was just flipping and scrolling one night on social media and this person had written one paragraph. And in that paragraph, they said 17 year old Tammy Jackson was stabbed 130 times, hogtied and run over by a car on Hutchinson Island, Georgia. Gosh. That just knocked me out for a couple of reasons. One, how have I never heard about it if it happened in Georgia? Even if it's a case I haven't worked, typically somebody will send it to me or I'll be somewhere with colleagues where somebody says, hey, I've got this case. Tell me what you think. I've never heard of this case. And I just didn't know how that was possible. Nancy had never covered it. I'd never heard about it with CSI Atlanta. I'd never heard about it at conferences that I go to. And then I thought, Hutchinson Island. I know all the beaches in Georgia. And I've been to Tybee. I've been to Jekyll. I've been to St. Simons. I've been to Little St. Simons. I never heard of Hutchinson Island. And I'm thinking, this has got to be a typo. Then when I researched it, it said Savannah. And I was like, oh my Lord, it's a river island. No wonder I'd never heard of it. I thought hogtied. And then I researched one, I found one news article. And the news article said she was last seen around 10 p.m. at night found by 7, 7.30 the following morning. So she wasn't out in the elements long. And I thought if they hogtied her, that rope is the ticket. As well as her clothing, but that rope, I couldn't get out of my mind. So I thought, I've got to find this family. Here's one of those divine intervention moments. For some reason, I couldn't, of course, find the family anywhere, but I went to find my grave. On the grave, her sisters were named. I've never seen that before in my life. Yeah, not his star. That seems unusual. Very unusual. But there they were. And I was able to find both of them on social media quickly and reached out to both of them. Shockingly, I tell people I got no response because <laughs> they probably thought, who is this crazy person? But I waited a little bit and then I reached out to Stacy one more time. And I said, I know you don't know me, but if you would just listen to me for five minutes and if you could get me to the detective, I think I can help possibly. She called me and then she told me who the lieutenant was over the case. And I said, I'm coming to Savannah. I want to meet with him in person. So she met me at the hotel and then the lieutenant met and I laid out what I thought would be a great course of action. And I said, it's going to cost y'all money, but we can help there. And he said, yeah, I don't think we're going to do any of that. And I was disappointed, but I told Stacy, I said, listen, if I know anything about cold cases, that detective's going to change. And when it does, call me. It wasn't too long. Calls me. She goes, we got a new detective. I said, who is it? She said, Tara Smith. And I thought to myself, it's a girl. She's going to see this different. And women, it's not positive or negative. And I want to be very clear with everybody listening to me. If you put together any kind of task force, you need old, young, different sexual orientation, different religions, different races. You get every single possible person in that room you can because they're going to come at this thing in a 360 that you couldn't have otherwise. They're going to all see it different. So I thought by changing the gender, we're going to change this case. And that's what happened because Tara Smith, buddy, she is smart. She's devoted. She's funny. She's tireless. She took a hold of this thing. And like Bill, first time I ever mentioned the impact to Bill, the next thing I know is a picture of him and Jared Bradley together. And some <laughs> Tara took everything that I outlined, called every person that I told her to call. And the next thing we knew, this thing was in motion but we still needed money. And Kristen, that's where you and I have talked about before. 
I love people and love wins. Love wins every time. But you enter Carl Marino in this thing. Yes. World changed. So that was one of our questions. So how do Carl and his lovely wife, Alona Marino, get involved? Okay. You talk about two beautiful people inside now. They're young. They're sexy. They're fun. They're famous. <laughs> They're like Walt and I, you know what I mean? Yeah, have- I could see it. <laughs> yeah. It's like looking in the mirror. I knew that this thing was going to cost thousands of dollars. So I called Carl and I said, look, I've got an idea. I need to raise some money for this officer and this family. February's coming up. So I thought we could do a fun little date night for people. And what would be more fun than hanging out with this beautiful couple and letting Carl talk about behind the scenes of Homicide Hunter? So he's got fantastic stories of Jokinda, how he came to get on the show, where she is a guest spot here and there. She's a nurse once. She's a police officer once. And she is so beautiful, y'all. And he said, we're in. So they come to Atlanta and they do a two-night event, Friday night and Saturday night, where couples or anybody, groups of friends, they all came. We were sold out just like that. They tell all these wonderful stories. He even brings other guests that are on the show that happen to live in or around Atlanta. So then they had all these other people they knew from the show. It was fantastic. We raised $4,000. We needed five. We got the other $1,000 pretty quickly after that to start the testing on the items. And let me just tell you this part. If you aren't already a fan of Carl and his lovely bride, Alona, Not only do they come to Atlanta, so I told them, I'm going to get your hotel room, pay for your gasoline because they wanted to drive and get your meals and all that. They said, okay, that's fair. No problem. They check in. Everything's good. Everything's rolling on. They come to the event. They do the first night. They do the second night. They're about to go back to the hotel and then they're going to leave early the next morning. Alona comes up to me and hands me a check from them. And I said, what are you doing? We should be doing for you. You don't come out of pocket. You're doing this for all of us. She went, after meeting the family and listening to Detective Smith, we want to do more and handed me a personal check. Wow. I look at the cold case bank statement or whatever, and I called Carl and I said, did y'all have a problem with the hotel? Because I don't have a bill. Mm. We, We took care of it. They would take no money. Not for their travel. And that's when gasoline was really going crazy. Mm-hmm. They would no money for gas, no money for food, no money for the hotel, nothing, nothing. That's wow. great. Wow. So that's why love wins. And I tell my own children all the time, like even 9-11, for example, a handful of people did a horrible thing. On that very day, a million people lined up to give blood. Love wins. So people ask sometimes, how do you not burn out? How do you not just walk away from all this? And my question is, how the hell could I? I'm surrounded by people like Bill and Kristen and Carl and Alona and all these just incredible people, Nancy Grace and all the people at CrimeCon. How do you walk away from literally heroes? And even at my own department, I'm surrounded by people that run toward danger. I'm surrounded by people that will every now and then say, Mac, you stay right here a minute and we'll clear that scene before I get to it. I ain't trying to leave them. What are you ultimately seeking to do with your podcast? Are you raising awareness? Are you solving cases? Are you starting a conversation? Are you doing all of the above? What is your, what's your final goal for this? Would you say? The first reason in the back of my mind I thought it's important to do it. I think is something that I think I've privately said to a lot of people. I think some of these cases being on tape are worthy of being in the Smithsonian. So when you hear like music museums and you can go and you can hear Elvis and you can go and hear Frank Sinatra and all of this music from the 20s and the 30s and how it paints this picture of America. I think if we look at crime, you can study the history of America through crime as well whether it's prohibition, whether it's the American mafia, whatever it is, I think it is imperative that we put on tape what it was like policing before crack, what it was like for radios, what it was like policing on horseback. That's important. And I think y'all have got a way of talking. Nancy's got a way of talking. 
there's all these, whether it's crime junkie or whoever, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of people that are collecting this information that needs to be highlighted. So that was one thing I thought. The second thing, I didn't want to do it if I couldn't help solve a case. I don't want to just tell the story once upon a time. I want to know you can be directly involved in helping solve this, whether it's sending a private lab money, whether it's supporting the family, whether it's putting the bolo out, whatever it is, you can. Civilians solve crime all the time. DC Sniper, that car was spotted by a civilian. The Zodiac puzzle was solved by a civilian. So mm -hmm. they solve crime all the time. What have I not thought of? Instant message me and tell me and I'll freaking try. So I thought that was going to be a staple that I'm going to try to solve these things. And then the other thing is maybe you've got a brand new detective that doesn't know what Parabon is and doesn't understand phenotyping. And if I'm talking about a case that everybody already knows about, maybe that detective hears something. Wait a minute. Who's Francine Bardol? I need to meet her. Yes, you do. Because you don't need me. I'm going to try to connect you to these people. I'm just the middleman. Or as Walt says, I'm just a pimp. So, <laughs> like, I'm a pimp. I'm like, I will, that. I will wear that proudly. I do think taking me out of it is important. Like I tell the young detectives in my own department, take any number out of my Rolodex you want. Because when I retire, you don't need to have to contact me to get to the right person. You should already have that person in your phone. Right. Take it. Take it. And then the other thing was, I thought, again, some of these families, sometimes they feel like their story has not been told the way they want because they have 30 seconds or they have just sound bites to tell a story. Sugar, you got an hour. Talk. Tell it. And I thought that was important. So that's the reason. You're listening to Mind Over Murder. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back here at Mind Over Murder. We had talked to Paul Wagner, a longtime reporter in Washington, D.C., about his podcast series, American Nightmare. And one of the things that he talked about was how important he thought it was to get the word out about various unsolved cases or how they came to be solved. And he's focused on the Washington, yep. D.C. area because that's where he's been a television reporter and radio reporter. One of the things he loves about the podcasting format, and this is something Kristen and I figured out too, now that we're into season four of Mind Over Murder, which is hard to believe, it allows you to get into more depth about the conversation, about the details of a case, to just drill down deep with an expert like yourself. And you just don't have that opportunity in other important news media, whether it's newspapers, television, radio, they are limiting you for space. And this is what Paul talked about on the podcast with us a couple of weeks ago. Whereas with the podcast, and then he does multiple episodes, particularly on these important cases in Washington, D.C., it allows him to really walk you through how what happened happened. Absolutely. Not just that they're sometimes limiting you on space. Sometimes they limit you on topic. They will say, we want you to talk about blank. And that leaves out so much that you might want to discuss that they don't want you to. And it also doesn't give you time to say, yes, I think law enforcement is looking at this for this reason. But it doesn't give you the opportunity to say, but they should also be doing two, three, four, five, and six, which, again, could help somebody else. Like people ask me, why would you and Nancy Grace go to Aruba now and be talking about Natalie Holloway? One, because she has gotten no justice yet. And two, by walking through what went right and what went wrong in that case can help other people. There are still people that do not understand that your American consulate is not going to help you if somebody you love goes missing. Your embassy is not going to be able to help you if somebody you love goes missing. 
Most people don't know, hey, when does my passport expire? They got to get up, go find it, and look at it. <laughs> they don't know. So if you've got a loved one that goes missing in another country, can you even get there? Do you have a passport that is not expired? Do you have money? Do you have room on your credit card to get an airline ticket to get over there? Most people would be a little hamstrung to do that. And that's the reason to go back and talk about it before, again, somebody sends their kid to another country on spring break or for graduation. you got to think about that before it happens. Let's, let's switch over for a minute to the case that is on everybody's minds, even the people who don't normally follow true crime. And that, of course, is the case of the Idaho Four. We were just commenting off the air that you're everywhere talking about this case, and we're thrilled to see that. Can you talk a little bit about what you find intriguing in that case from the perspective of a CSI? Woo, this case. Here's how I've tried to make people understand. As a crime scene investigator, that crime did not start inside that home. So for me, I would have wanted to spend a lot of time outside before I ever go in. That killer had one way in and one way out if he drove. If he walked, he had more area to come from, but it was still limited because he would have had to park, which would also make people see his vehicle and then him walk away from it. Because again, people know their area and they know their roommates and their friends' vehicles. So if there's a car that doesn't fit, that car is going to stick out. Footprints, obviously, a trail of blood, obviously. Those are the things that I would want to concentrate on before I got anywhere near that house. The windows, the doors, screens, garbage, anything that I could see. And I would probably take a hundred photographs before I ever went in the house. That house is a crime scene by itself. Each room is a crime scene by itself. Each body is a crime scene by itself. So I would have one to concentrate on, the house. Then each individual bedroom, whether the killer went in it or not, I would concentrate on. Then the rooms where the murders occurred, I would concentrate on solely for a little bit. Then each individual body, where they're placed, their injuries, their defensive wounds, their clothing, everything. So if you start to look at it like that and you remind yourself of Dr. Jeff McDonald, I would want every single wound swabbed so that I would know who was killed in what order. So if you've got victim one, only their DNA. Victim two would have two DNA, victim one and theirs. Victim three would have victim one and two and theirs. And then finally, victim four would have victim one, two, three, and four. I never so thought about never, this before. This is very no, interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. So then once I know who's killed in what order, then that's going to tell me, again, the target of this perpetrator. So I believe, this is personally, I believe he started on the third floor. I think there's evidence to that. I thought that from Jump Street, and I said it on every newscast I was on starting week one and two. The reason I thought that is there's no reason for him to go upstairs. Men are A to B people, generally speaking. There are some that are not, but 99% of the time, men are A to B people. I think what you mean is men are simple creatures. <laughs> no, not at all. I think there's genius in it. <laughs> oh, and, and got it. Okay. There are, and here's the reason. If a man is somewhere and he's been in the same clothes for eight hours and Miss October comes up to him and says, hey, I want to have sex with you right now. He just takes his clothes off. Right. He knows he thinks. He knows his underwear is 10 years old. He ain't brushed his teeth. But it's Miss October. <laughs> okay. If a woman has Matthew McConaughey come up to her and says, hey, I want to have sex with you right now. She'd be like, give me 15 minutes. <laughs> and she'll go, fresh, she'll go take a shower and freshen up. I'm going to shave my legs. I'm going to fix my hair. I'm going to throw some perfume everywhere. <laughs> Women put roadblocks in front of themselves instead of saying, hell yes, get on them naked bongos and let's get to it. <laughs> so they approach crime differently as well, if that makes sense to you. So they're not going to put obstacles in front of themselves. Right. Unless it's an escape route. And then that's not their control. So he's going to be in and out. He's going to go where he wants to go. So when he goes upstairs, he no longer has an exit. Correct. Very important. Why would he do that to himself? Because his target's upstairs. The other thing that bothered me 
Kaylee was not supposed to be there. From what we've read, yes. Okay. Kaylee was not supposed to be there. There's a car out front that's brand new with dealer tags still on it. Kaylee only went there to show her friend Maddie the car. That means this person that has been stalking them and went by that house at least four times before he parked and went in. On the night of on the car. night of the murder. The night of the murder. But he had stalked them twelve times before. Correct? Never seen that car before. Or had he? Because only two things are possible. Either he knew that was Kaylee's car and she was in there, even though she had already moved out. Or that was a car he didn't recognize, didn't know who was in it, knew there was an additional person in that house and didn't care. So again, this person is single focused. It's going to be this night. So for me, Kaylee's not supposed to be there. He doesn't kill her dog. She's in a place he has no exit. She's moving to Texas. So if she were the target, he has to kill her now or never because she's leaving. Right. So the sheath is left up there. Again, that tells me they were the target upstairs. Dylan hears the commotion upstairs. Thinks Kaylee is playing with Murphy, her dog. What we now, I believe she's hearing is the murder. But she knows it's unusual enough. She remembers hearing it. thinking that must be what I'm hearing but it still made her concentrate about it. Then she hears talking and she hears somebody's here. Again, that tells me he's on the third floor already. Then there's crying. Then there's the struggle. Then she sees the person leaving through the sliding glass door. She sees him leaving. Then you know the murders upstairs have already happened. So again, the target was on the third floor. That can't be happenstance. That's targeted. That's deliberate. That's a movement A to B. If you had to guess the victims on the second floor who you believe are not necessarily the primary targets. Correct. I believe that. Why did he kill them? Because Zana saw him. And I think either through the DoorDash or her going to the kitchen to get the food or Maybe she even heard her other roommate open her door a couple of times. Something that got her attention. Now, again, think about it. You live in a house where you've got people below you and above you. You're used to noise. You're used to that dog. You're used to people walking up down the stairs with a shared kitchen. This was different sounds. And both Dylan and Zana zeroed in on it. Both of them knew something is different. Something's not right. When Zana says somebody's here, She's talking to Ethan. Now, Ethan might be up. What are you talking about? What's going on at that point? In order for him to get out, he's got to pass them. Well, if he doesn't kill them, law enforcement's going to be notified immediately. So he's now in, I've got to get away mode, I think. I think, sadly and tragically, the two of them were collateral damage. So Zana and Ethan, who were on the second floor, are killed as he makes his way back down from the third floor where his primary target or targets were. That's what I believe. And again, I don't have a crystal ball. This is not some magic trick. I'm not clairvoyant. But again, if you look at patterns, him going to the third floor first tells you why he entered that house. In my opinion, he never goes to the basement. It's no reason to. He doesn't kill Zana and Ethan on the way in. Why not? Why not get rid of them immediately? If that's your goal to kill everybody in the house, because it wasn't his goal. And then I thought about it that way. Wow, Mac. <laughs> and then, but then let's flip this around. There's this intriguing question. And Kristen and I have talked about this on the podcast. He walks right past Dylan and she's actually close enough to him. Now it could be dark, but she's close enough to him to give law enforcement a pretty good physical description, athletic, but not gigantic, not super built, bushy eyebrows. He's got the mask on the lower part of his face. He appears to walk past her. Do you think he's so focused on escape at that point that he doesn't see her or that he lets her go because he's exhausted having killed four people? I realize I'm hitting you with a lot. No, you're not. I think he literally didn't see her. There's a, oh, what do you call it? A neon sign in the kitchen. If her bedroom is pitch black and she cracks the door, she can see him because he's illuminated. She's not. I think there's a real possibility he never saw her. 
Plus, if he wasn't counting on the second set of attacks, he is now in his mind scrambled. It is chaotic. Right. And mind, he's not running. Dylan describes him as just walking. He's probably in a state of almost disbelief. What happened? I went in here to do one thing. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. The dog was in my way. I had to get the dog put somewhere because the dog was going to follow me out and maybe alert people. So he does what he does in that one bedroom to two people. And maybe he was counting on that. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe if he knew Dylan had already moved out, maybe he thought she was in another room. But when he entered that room, he had no choice. Now there's two of them in the same bed. But I think he's the one that put Murphy in that room and shut the door. I firmly believe that. I believe because of his own psyche, he did not harm that animal. And again, that speaks to him. I didn't know why that was relevant. I just knew that it was. And another way that I work, y'all, if I find something at a crime scene and I don't know how it fits and it doesn't make sense to me, I take it. It may make sense later. We become very clear later, or it may never have any connect. That dog surviving was critical to me. Because otherwise, why not just cut his throat? He ain't going to bark. He ain't going to bite me. He ain't going to follow me. That didn't have, that I, dog didn't have a speck of blood on him. Ironically, it almost appears that the suspect might actually value the dog's life more than he valued four human beings. Okay. So if he is not just a vegan, but some rabbit is out of place, it's not just for health purposes. That answered my question as soon as I found out he made people buy new pots and pans that never touched animal meat. That's him. And listen, we all know, folks, that if they're watching a movie and the woman is beat and slaughtered and whatever, but then the dog is kicked, react only to the dog being kicked. Yeah, yeah. Get that. I totally understand where they're coming from. You sometimes have this kinship with an animal and they are totally dependent on you they can't talk they can't defend themselves so to harm something that is only loving and given i get that but they don't have the same reaction to the woman that's been butchered that may be part of his deal and again that's out of my wheelhouse i'm just saying i know it happens and it wouldn't shock me if that's what's happening here so when he tries to now maybe tell people i have no feelings i'm just this shell of a person that ain't true because you saved that dog Although the New York Times piece that hit a week or so ago, there was a new article where they were talking to people that knew him back in high school and college as well. It does sound like he has difficulty connecting with people or feeling empathy. And, but like you said, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't love an animal because our relationships with an animal, as you were pointing out, are very different than they are with people. It's a simpler relationship sure, to start with. Sure. But think about it. For him, just like he's not going to be able to claim he didn't know right from wrong. Sure he does. He knew. He knew right from wrong. But he also values life on some level. He understands whether he says the dog did not deserve to be harmed, but everybody else in the house did. It may be twisted and it may be so foreign to us thankfully, but it's still true for him. So the only thing we're trying to do is understand him. For me, if this were my scene again, and the blood came back to show what I think it's going to show eventually is the two girls upstairs were killed first, Kaylee and Maddie. Why? There has to be a reason. He had to know that was their bedroom. He had to know that he'd already watched them at least 12 times, at least, but I'm sure it's more than that. So why did they become the law enforcement either already has a good idea or I think they will eventually because his phone, his computer, the items they found in their house. And that's another thing I want to be real clear about. That arrest affidavit is a thumbnail of what they've got. So his phone, the things he searched on his computer, I believe he was so uber focused on this thing again since August now. August, September, October, November. This is all he's thinking about. You think about when you have planned something like that, whether it's a massive vacation trip or a wedding, whatever it is, you look at magazines, you Google things, you ask friends about what's the best place you've ever been to in Colorado. What's the best place you ate at in Nebraska? 
you're asking questions because that's all you can think about is this trip. Did you use a flower girl? Would you have somebody under three in the wedding? Band or DJ? That's <laughs> what you're focused on. I see you in that apartment. He had either a map on the wall, their pictures, mm. telling you he was obsessed with them, not the house, them. That makes a ton of sense. Let's talk about the fact that there has been so much made about the fact that he was studying criminal justice and taking classes with Dr. Catherine Ramsland, who has gotten a raw deal out of this whole entire thing, by the way. Does studying criminology or watching procedurals and documentaries teach criminals and killers how to be more effective? Okay. There's a book called The Bible, and there are people that get together every Sunday and sometimes on Wednesday to talk about how you should act and treat people. Reading that book and going to church is not going to make you a good person. There has to be something in you already. You're not going to just, hey, I've gone to church just about every Easter since I was five. Can I not be a saint? No, sugar, you cannot be a saint because you went to church. Sorry. Studying don't make you nothing. The reason he did that is because it was already in him. He couldn't get enough of it. So, like, I personally have always been fascinated by crime. I enjoy crime. I can work a 12-hour shift and come home and watch Criminal Minds and be happy as a lark. And my husband sometimes say, hey, didn't you just do that all day? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I did. Yeah. But it's not just my vocation. It's my avocation. I enjoy it. He was the type of person that could not get enough of it. And I've even said to people, this was his porn. He wanted to talk about it, read about it, study about it, think he was the smartest person in the room when it came to it. And I know Dr. Ramsland, just like y'all do. This will, in my opinion, be her Ann Rule moment. Ann Rule worked at a rape crisis center with Ted Bundy. Dr. Ramsland is going to be able to use this for good. She is going to be able to teach from it learn from it, share from it, and we all build from it. Just like a preacher cannot control who comes into his church, she cannot control who comes and signs up for her class. Again, a criminology student is not a forensic student. She didn't teach him how to get away with anything. They taught about theory. She talks about why sometimes this happened. But if you put out as that questionnaire, how did you feel during and after? That's on him. He wanted from you. And I told Nancy Grace this. I said, Ted Bundy wanted to talk to the victim because that's what got him off. He's a rapist. Yeah. I wanted to talk to the killer or the criminals because that's what he sees himself at. Completely different animal. He even said he had this goal of wanting to work on high profile cases, which I found very interesting. Yeah, because that's the ticket. That's the super. It's great to go to a high school game, but the Super Bowl is a whole different level. So it's good to understand why Fred killed somebody in his backyard. It's different if you're looking at Israel Keys. Completely different. And it's like anything else. You're not just going to hold hands with your lover. You're going to get to it at some point. Everything graduates, especially if it's something physical. He couldn't stop himself at one point. Because reading about it, learning about it, hearing Dr. Ramsland, watching video, and y'all hear me, his search on his computer will blow your mind, yeah. especially computer at work. He has not hidden anything, nothing. He can't hide it. It's just if you've got a real good buddy and you love them and they're fun, but then you realize, wait a minute, is that dude an alcoholic? <laughs> because at some point he doesn't stop drinking when everybody else does. And he talks about liquor and he talks about this and he can't hide it after a while. That's what this guy is. His students knew, even if they didn't put two and four and seven together, they knew this TA is not like everybody else. He grades us harder. He breaks us down and tells us we don't know nothing because he's smarter than anybody else. But then after the murders, everybody gets A plus 100s. He don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Very interesting. Patterns, patterns, patterns. Once that pattern is broken, you stay right there. That's your guy. So, Mac, if our listeners want to meet you in person to talk about Zone 7 or CIRI or CSI Atlanta, 
what events should they plan on coming to this year in order to see you and get a great big hug from you in person? I've got a lot of cool things coming up. I'm going to be on the CrimeCon cruise. I'm going to come to CrimeCon in Orlando. I've got some events coming up in Georgia at the Georgia Writers Museum in February. I've got some speeches that I'm going to be doing at Jekyll Island and a speech I'm going to be doing in Savannah. So just watch my Facebook page and y'all just come on. But if you're coming through Atlanta, let me know. You never know. We might could meet up real quick. That sounds fantastic. Cheryl Mac McCollum, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure as always. And we look forward to seeing you at CrimeCon and any other time that we can possibly get to your location. Y'all are two of my favorite people ever. And I will leave y'all with this. You don't have to listen to Zone 7, but get to my Facebook page or Twitter or somewhere and look for an update on Tammy Jackson, I would say, in the next two months. Excellent. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mind Over Murder. We'll see you next time. Mind Over Murder is a production of Absolute Zero and Another Dog Productions. Our executive producers are Bill Thomas and Kristen Dilley. Our logo art is by Pamela Arnois. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod. Mind Over Murder is distributed in partnership with Crawlspace Media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also follow our page on the Colonial Parkway Murders on Facebook. And finally, you can follow Bill Thomas on Twitter at BillThomas56. Thank you for listening to Mind Over Murder.